This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm David Stein. When I'm not talking to other people about money on Money for the Rest of Us, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we're celebrating the start of October by helping you get groovy with your money. On today's show, we welcome popular financial blogger, Mr. Groovy. Plus, in our headline segment, it's been 10 years since the last market crash, What can company retirement plans do better to help people weather the storm? We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to Shane, who wonders about strategies for professionals who might get sued. How should he protect his ass? Assets. Of course, don't worry. We'll also answer a letter from the mailbag and, best of all, share some of my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who haven't been groovy since 1999, and even that was pretty questionable, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Groovy. I went to a 70s party. I still have the shirt. It's kind of cool. White pants. So maybe I'll tell a story later about a disco party. Uh, yeah, from okay. way back That's in the day. That's kind of what this was. Just, just remind me of that. But welcome to the Groovy Day podcast because we got Mr. Groovy coming down to the basement, the the big time financial blogger. Going to have some okay. fun yeah. talking about all things groovy today. You feeling groovy? I am now. I should probably introduce you to everybody for people new to the show. I'm Joe Salcija. I average Joe Money on Twitter. I know. I thought you were going to introduce me. No, Doug already said that. But well, we always introduce me first. I mean, let's start with oh. you. Start with the important people. We'll work our way down the org chart. I understand. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that's exactly right. Wow. That just rolled right off your tongue so fast that it's almost like you've said that before. Maybe in other places that didn't involve me. Uh, Let me show you the uh, podcast org chart. There's uh, Joe way down here at the bottom. There's a big line, like you have an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. It says Joe, and then there's like a line that says, ends at the bottom of the page. It says, see page two. <laughs> but it's no, my um, else. adorable junior partner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. I've been meaning to talk to you about my equity OG. partnership stake increasing. It's the other guys, we call him OG. Man, it is Monday. Back here in the basement, just home from FinCon, and apparently so is Doug, who seems to be sawing something right up. He's doing a construction project. (laughs) Why does he do this? We're like, like, hey, quiet on the set, here to record. (laughs) Doug's like, I got it. 
It's it's so amazing. He's building a deck. The second he gets done announcing, he uh, starts doing this stuff. So if you hear something in the background, we're just going to roll with it, man. You know what else we're rolling with? We're rolling with the fact that Slack is Slack helping us out with this episode. Big thanks to Slack for supporting Stacking Benjamins. We use Slack big time, especially when we're on the road like we were last week. Slack's a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop and key information is always at their fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. We're also happy that our X-Bar is with us. Been a while since we talked about RX bar. What's your favorite RX bar? Blueberry. Mm, yeah, I would second that. So that one's really good. Mixed berry is really good. And I like chocolate and sea salt. Yeah, the sea salt is. Mm. Thanks to RX bar for supporting Stacky Benjamins. RX bar is a whole food protein bar with no BS. Get 25% off your first order at rxbar.com forward slash SB and use the promo code SB. That's rxbar.com forward slash SB, promo code SB. I was looking at RX bars the other day, ordering my next... Uh, my next you got to get the sample pack first. Yes. And then you sort through them and go, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, maybe. But some are more yes than others. Yes. I agree. And then choose agree. from the ones that are more yes than others next time. Yes. So, uh, but getting ready... As we hit the road here, want to make sure we take some RX bars with us. All right. You can take us with you, this podcast, wherever you go. You're going to want to because Mr. Groovy's here today. Got a couple great headlines. Let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first piece comes to us from financialplanning.com where nerds like OG and I hang out and uh, read the financial nerdery. So you don't have to. We we uh, what do you call that? Take one for the team. Well, I was <laughs> I was thinking more. We curate the good stuff. Oh, okay. Another bad thing happening. So-called financial advisor causing some trouble here. Jessica Matthews wrote this piece. Students learning to invest misled by an advisor with bills to pay, according to the SEC. The SEC's charged a financial advisor with misleading about 40 students and clients into investing $6.5 million in high-yield promissory notes. He failed. Mm. failed. I promise yes. to pay you back. He failed to disclose the true use of the proceeds of those investments, paying his franchises overdue bills. The advisor, Thomas J. Caulfield, allegedly said the money be used to operate a Dallas-based franchise he purchased in 2011. The name of the franchise was not released in the SEC complaint, which offered investment education programs, according to the regulator. Here's how you get ripped off is, is program number one. Yeah, you want to learn? Yeah, here's how you learn. I take your money and it disappears. Let me show you how the first lesson is you need to understand what it feels like to get ripped off so you can never get ripped off again. Yes. So first thing I'm going to do is rip you off. And I bet you that you won't let this happen again. I, I don't see what's wrong with this. <laughs> Instead, the investments went toward repaying prior investors and paying overdue bills for the business. Went toward repaying prior investors. Is that Ponzi scheme? Is that what that is? As a result, the SEC charged Caulfield over $900,000 in disgorgement, prejudgment interest, and penalties. He's prohibited from issuing, purchasing, offering, or selling securities apart from his personal account. Caulfield declined to comment on the accusations. Students at the franchise, as well as clients at his fee-based firm, DAT Capital, or maybe it's DAT, thinking DAT Capital, 
advisors invested in notes he offered that promised 10 to 18% in annual returns. Caulfield told the investors the notes would be lucrative and safe, according to the SEC. Whenever you put lucrative and safe in the same sentence, there's this little bell that starts ringing in my head, OG. It should ring in everyone's head, but apparently it didn't. So yeah. that's too bad. Which is the next sentence, which is a paragraph by itself in this piece. They weren't either lucrative or safe. The franchise they were neither lucrative <laughs> nor safe. Franchise routinely failed to meet current financial obligations. And the notes were not secured by business assets as claimed. According to the SEC complaint, Additionally, the notes were not registered with the SEC as required. But Caulfield marketed them to investors as a good offering, even providing unaudited financial materials that did not disclose important information regarding the franchise's liability, according to the regulator. we got a few things going on here. We have registered investments with the SEC. Number one, that's a safeguard. Number two is audited financial statements, not unaudited financial statements, Number three, knowing something about what different types of notes pay, if it says 10 to 18% and it's a note, meaning it's a loan. But the word note sounds a lot sexier. I'm investing in securities-backed notes that are highly lucrative. And a note really is a loan. And if a loan's paying 18%, that means it's not safe. If it's safe, like the federal government... We're looking at significantly less. Let's just put it that way. Well, sure. Think of it this way. I mean, if you're going to lend your sister-in-law money or you're going to lend the U.S. Treasury money, which one of those two are you going to demand from a higher rate? You're going to demand a higher rate from the personal investor. And so just like your own personal credit score is going to influence your ability to borrow, if you have to pay 18% on your credit cards and somebody else is paying 10, the bank must think you're a greater risk. So also don't do this ever. Yeah, not, not good. It actually ended up working out okay for investors. After the SEC investigation had begun, the Dallas franchise was sold earlier in 2018, which resulted in a distribution of more than $1.3 million to the franchisee's student investors. So people... Luckily, in this case, OG got some of their money back, even though there was a $615,000 difference before that sale between the amount that he had repaid and the amount that he still owed people. Yeah, that could have been far uglier than it was, but I think just understanding a few of those terms can help all of us out. Second piece comes to us from NAPA-NET, the National Association of Plan Advisors. You know, just a few weeks ago was the 10-year anniversary of the crash. Yeah, the beginning of it, right? Yeah, and as part of that, Judy Ward, who's been on this show before, Judy's been writing this piece about bracing for the next crash. And the question here is, what can 401k plan and pension plan advisors do to proactively limit the impact of the next market crash on participants? And these are some thoughts, and I wanted to get your thought on these, OG. First one is ramp up help for participants nearing retirement. It says most, Judy writes, most companies that implement auto-enrollment did it just for new hires, which means that their newer employees can better withstand a big market downturn because they're still putting money away and they're deferring money at healthy rates. 
Many longer tenured employees still are vulnerable because of their asset allocation because they haven't saved enough, Randy Long, founder and managing principal at Sageview Advisory Group, says. Putting in 4% and a year isn't going to get you to a safe, comfortable retirement. You like this idea of making it opt out for everybody, not just new hires? Yeah, the automatic enrollment. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think yep. more companies should do that, even though we did a piece recently that showed that people yeah, that are backfired. <laughs> yeah, people that are auto enrolled take out half the money, but at least the other half is still there. There's still something there. Uh, yeah. So I like that. Second piece, and I'm going to skip down. They, they really go into depth in these, and we'll link to them in the show notes if you want to nerd out on this stuff. But number two, incorporate participants' actual risk tolerance levels more. The biggest problem in a market crisis comes from participants panicking and deciding to abandon the stock market entirely, Morris says, quote, I see a solution in having customized portfolios so participants have more of a managed account type allocation, he says. Part of me agrees with that, but the other part is just getting somebody at a company to sit down with someone. And there's so much, you know, there's so many people out there, you don't know what their agenda is. We report on this stuff all the time. That one's going to be hard to implement. Like, I, I get it. Yeah, if we could personalize the portfolio more, it would help. But how do you how do you build the trust so every employee gets a customized, more customized portfolio? Well, I think that some of those things are being addressed from a technology standpoint. There's companies out there now that are partnering with retirement plan participants where they can see the exact impact or the projected impact of volatility on their account. I agree with this statement completely that the single greatest risk to investor success is investor behavior. Without the knowledge of what might happen, sometimes investors get caught unaware. So, so with some technology tools, you can kind of model those things out. And we're seeing more and more of those solutions being added to 401k plans. So you can say, okay, all my money is invested in the S&P 500 fund. What does that mean for me from a volatility standpoint? Well, it means that you could be minus 40 or plus 40. And so how does that feel if you have 100,000 today and tomorrow you wake up and it's worth 60,000? I think going through that experience is really important for investors while things are good because then you can build that solution and go, well, if it was at 60, I would really freak out. What we're trying to get to is never freak out. It's funny you bring up a great point that people don't understand volatility. And one of the things that I used to do back when I was a financial advisor was talk a lot about what the expectation is of volatility. And I want to go through this. People might hear me typing here. As an example, we'll use the Fidelity Contra Fund. So I went to Morningstar.com and I'm just putting a fund that a lot of people I'm sure have in their 401k. So Fidelity Contra Fund. Um, and I look that up. And immediately, when I click on it, I can go down to... Now, this is what I like about Morningstar. Morningstar is a third-party website, not affiliated with Fidelity, that tells you reward and risk historically. And when it comes to risk level, it gives you an idea of what type of risk we can anticipate in the future. And a few of these risk measures, I think, OG, if people take just a second to learn how these work for themselves then I think they get a better idea. One thing that they do here is follow these things called modern portfolio theory statistics. We want to take a, just a little second and get in the weeds what modern portfolio theory statistics are. No. Hard pass. And there it is. Thank you. <laughs> 
Let's take just a second. But you're going to do it anyway. All right. So we're going to do it anyway. Got it. All right. So then Well, the- as the junior associate of the podcast, <laughs> I don't really have any votes at the board meeting anyway. So well, I think if you thank take, you for asking my opinion. If you take just a second, you try to nerd out on these, you can get a lot better idea. And I think just like when the pilot comes on, if the pilot doesn't come on on the plane and the plane starts shaking, half the people, because they don't understand aeronautics, they get afraid. But it's funny, the pilot comes on first and says, hey, folks, we got some, we got a little choppiness coming up here, so I've just turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. And then it gets choppy. Guess what happens? Everybody goes, oh, pilot said this was going to happen. Maybe not as big okay. a deal. So I think that if you take just a second and understand these statistics, you'll get an idea. The first one that I want to talk about actually is beta. And if you look at the beta, now they have beta versus the standard index. They say versus the S&P 500. And the beta for Contrafund is 0.97. And the way you look at beta is the risk of this fund versus, and by the way, you can click on three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years. The risk of this fund versus the amount of risk the S&P 500 takes is nearly the same. And because if the beta is one, it means it has the same risk profile as the index that it's being compared to. So in this case, 0.97, it means just a little hair less risky than the S&P 500. And I get a good feel then, okay, for the risk. If I go further down, I can see standard deviation. And standard deviation gives me the swings that I can expect from this investment. So over the last three years, the swing for Fidelity Contra Fund, the standard deviation, 10.46%. And that means... Even though the last three years, this fund's averaged 18.19%, two out of three times, and that's what standard deviation measures, that could have been 10% lower, 10% higher. So you're going to see a 20% swing off of that number that we had. That gives us a good idea of kind of the shake when the plane starts shaking, to keep with my current analogy, OG exactly uh, uh, how bad this is going to shake. I feel like if you know those statistics going into your investment, you're much less likely to to worry when it drops 10%. You go, okay, well, this this tells yeah, me- Yeah, that's normal. Yeah, two out of three markets, that's what ContraFund does. And that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. Check out Morningstar with your investments. Good place that we like a lot. So the first- takeaway I think from today is uh, if somebody offers you notes paying 10 to 18% with very little volatility. That's like them getting a D on Prosper. Right. Peer-to-peer lending. It's as if you're loaning money to people with a D. That's not good. And they might uh, not be being completely truthful. And then the second takeaway is looking to manage risk. Maybe understand the risk statistics involved with your portfolio and... uh, You'll do the right thing when and if the market gets choppy. Well, waiting in the wings upstairs with mom, it's our good friend, Mr. Groovy. He and his wife, Mrs. Groovy, have a great website, Freedom is Groovy. And he's got a great backstory. And we've had uh, Mr. Groovy and Mrs. Groovy on the show before. And we love mixing it up with them on our roundtable. But today, Mr. Groovy in the spotlight here on the show because he's got a brand new book out that I think you're going to love. 
let's say hello to from the Freedom is Groovy blog, Mr. Groovy. And walking down the stairs to the basement. Look who's finally, you've been on our round table. It's about time you made it to the basement. Oh, Joe, living the dream. I can't believe I'm down here. It's so exciting, isn't it? A dimly lit place. Yeah. And watch out for that chair leg. because. Uh, and I'm not repulsed. I mean, I thought the, the smell was going to be overbearing, but it's actually uh, rather pleasant down here. Is it bad the number of people that say that? <laughs> Like, do you, do you just assume that I'm just this sewer rat or what? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what to say to that, Joe. Like I said, I, I just have a lot of experience with damp, dank <laughs> places. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, let's not focus on that. I want to ask about, about the subtitle of your book, which is How to Escape the Tyranny of Mandatory Toil in 14 Years or Less. And it's funny, you don't say 15 years like some people come down to the basement you don't say 20 you don't say five why 14 years you know joe it's messed up it's it's bizarre our particular story mrs groovy and i we we started our uh, financial renaissance if you will in 2003 and we retired in 2016 so do the math you know 2003 2016 inclusive 14 years that's really exciting. <laughs> and, and that's a short time because you dedicate the book to people you call, quote, financial morons. And you're a guy, I think, who you say that you yourself were a financial moron. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was 40 years. I had no idea what an emergency fund was. I had no idea what uh, a mutual fund was. I lived paycheck to paycheck. I was making a nice salary, but I had credit card debt. I was you know, classic American. What changed there? I mean, was there a was there a turning point? Was there a place where you were, where you remember you're like, this has got to go differently? Or was it just a slow, subtle thing? Uh, it was basically two things. First, I, I got married to the fabulous Mrs. Groovy. We got married in 2002. And in 2003, we were still struggling. I mean, just things just weren't going well. And we looked at each other. We, we were two people with two master degrees. We were a financial mess. Just, you know, that killed Mrs. Groovy. She said, enough of this. So she went to the library one day. She came back with uh, a book. I don't know if you heard of it, uh, Total Money Makeover. Are you familiar with that at all? I, I have no idea who you're talking <laughs> about. Is it some guy named Dave in Tennessee? I think so. I think so. So, I mean, that was the start. But the real start, towards the end of 2002, we're living in a one-bedroom condo on Long Island, 600 square feet. Our property taxes at the time are $3,800. So we get our new property tax bill for 2003, and it's going to be $5,400. Wow. And it was at, yeah. It, it was at that point I turned to Mrs. Groovy and I said, what the heck are we doing on Long Island? And we knew we had to get our financial act together. In those early years, did it also affect your marriage? Um, a little bit. I mean, the biggest argument we had the first year was Mrs. Groovy's job. She was working at one place. She wasn't happy, but she was, you know, making decent money and, you know, she wanted to leave. And I said, we just weren't in a position to leave. She, I, I needed her income, but we got over that hurdle. That is tough. And you, you, well, you know this from your writing and from your fans that so many people listening to this are in that spot, right? Where they, they want to leave, but they can't because they don't have an emergency fund. They got too much debt. Exactly. They need that paycheck. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest revelations on this journey to financial freedom is the options it provides you. There's so many stories I could tell you about. I mean, my, my last job, 
for a while, I was a dead man walking. They were downsizing, and I didn't care because at that point, I had the emergency fund. I was close to financial independence. I didn't have any debt. We owned our house outright. So just the the freedom and the, and the options you have when you are in control of your financial house, it's incredible. That had to be a great feeling because I'd imagine everybody's walking around that place just feeling like they've got a number, a bullseye on their back and you've got one on and, your back and you're like, go ahead and shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's uh, Joe, a bad it, analogy, but. It's even better than that. What happened was they closed down my Charlotte office. They were moving operations to Dallas and I was training the guys to take over my job and I didn't care. I'm going, guys, you know, this is what you need. This is what I do. Here's the programming. And they thought I was uh, the most noblest person on earth. Here's a guy, you know, he's a, a dead man walking, yet he's happy. He's helping us out. He's not pulling teeth. And that's just the power of, you know, having your financial house in order. I was surprised. Well, I was surprised by a lot of stuff in your book. Just it's not presented like a ton of other books. It's incredibly holistic. We'll get to some specific points for everybody listening here in a second. But you start off with that concept. You start off with be honorable. And I was so surprised. I'm like, how come we're not starting off with the dollars and cents? Why did you decide to start off with this idea of being honorable as chapter one of your book on financial independence? Yeah, I don't want want to get too philosophical. I mean, your audience... They're not trying to learn anything, are they? No, back away from that, dude. Yeah, let's, well, not, they, let's well, not get... Well, well, they can learn from you. As long as they don't <laughs> learn from me, we're good, probably. Okay. Prior to my 40th birthday, I was a railer. I railed against the system. The system was screwing me. And every night I would yell at the TV. Yet, I was doing nothing to fix the system. Then when I ma- married Mrs. Groovy, it suddenly dawned on me, how about fixing yourself? And when I fixed myself, when I became a better person, when I started doing better with my money, all of a sudden the system didn't seem that hostile. So I think being honorable, I mean, number one, it's just the moral thing to do. And over time, if you are honorable, there will be financial dividends. Your book is about, use this acronym a lot, GFHs. What the heck is a GFH? (laughs) Oh, what's a book without acronyms? You need them. You got <laughs> yeah. to confuse the reader. Well, that's uh, that's financial life in general. I mean, why do yeah. we call it a Roth IRA instead of a tax-free savings account? Or why don't we call it a retirement savings fund? But we got to call it a 401k or better yet, a 403b or yeah. maybe oh, yeah. maybe a 457, you know, just to make sure we have three different ones instead of one. Yeah, so there we go. Thank you for uh, adding to it with GFHs. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. You know, I got to have the acronyms. It just It's just my shorthand for good financial habits. Prior to being a, mor- a moron, my financial habits were hideous. So, I mean, that's really what the book is about. It's a transformation, how I got rid of bad financial habits and embraced good financial habits. And once you do that, give yourself time. Things will, will turn out nicely. So I expect you then, based on that statement, I expect you laying this all out at the beginning of the book. I totally think, okay, here come the numbers. Nope. We're going to talk about controlling your health and about getting healthier. Like, and I'm not talking about healthy with your money. I'm talking about healthy with your body. I was so surprised that you started. Why start with that? <laughs> I threw you with that one, huh? You totally did. Uh, like, again, this is the, the, the personal aspect of personal finance. I mean, for me, I mean, there's so many things I want to do with my life. I'm in my, my 50s, so I'm reaching that, that second plateau, so to speak. And for me, my retirement would be a failure if I 
let's say, if I ran out of mobility before I ran out of adventures. So, you know, I want to I wanna go to Sydney, Australia. I want to go over the Sydney Bridge. I want to go to Spain. I want to do the, what's that, uh, that walk that everybody does? The way. Oh, the Camino something. The El Camino. I mean, no, that's the yeah, car. There we go. I mean, there's so many things I want to do, but if I, if I lose, you know, if I, I, my hips go or I'm, I'm overweight and my knees go, I'm not going to be able to do this stuff. My retirement's going to be a failure. So health is key. Since I'm in my mid fifties, I've had associates, friends who have now died because they didn't take care of their health. Like I said, it's one of those things where it's until you lose it, you don't realize how important it is. I think it paints money in the best light, though. I mean, as I'm reading through what you've written, I think, you know, money's just a fuel. And to be able to burn that fuel, you you have to be healthy enough to do it. So you set yourself some rules. I want to walk through some of these rules. Uh-oh. And by the way, uh, Mr. <laughs> Groovy goes through for everybody listening. He says, I'm not a dietitian. I'm not your family doctor. This is just what I do. Absolutely. But you walk through several things, but I want to go through a few of these. So one of the first things you did was you cut out sugary drinks. Yeah, I was bad. I mean, oh, geez. Coke, Pepsi, and especially down here in the South, sweet tea. I would literally drink uh, maybe a gallon a day. I mean, it was hideous. The only time that I ever want a sugary, well, it's funny because I drink Coke Zero, but it's a carbonated beverage is when I go mm-hmm. to a movie theater. You know, that's oh, only, I understand that. That's only <laughs> I have no idea why, but maybe it's because I like paying eighty seven thousand dollars for a Coke. But, <laughs> and, and Joe, to tell you the truth, the first three weeks when I gave up sugar, I mean sugary drinks, it was brutal. I mean, I thought I was going through withdrawals. But and this I hope is encouraging to the listeners, after three weeks, you kind of don't miss it. I know that sounds bizarre, but your body adapts pretty quickly. And now for the most part, all I drink is water. And uh, on occasion, like I said, in the movie theater, I will have a Diet Coke. Yeah. Do you do coffee? No. On Saturday, though, is my cheat day. And maybe we'll get into that in a little bit. But I will have a mocha on occasion. Yeah. Does that hit your system? It must hit it super hard then. Like Mrs. Groovy's got to be like, calm down, dude. (laughs) So she has mentioned I I get a little rambunctious on Saturdays. (laughs) Just stays away. Second... And this would be the death of me. No bread. Come on, man. You take all the fun away. It's bizarre. I mean, my whole life, I mean, when Mrs. Kruby makes a hamburger for dinner, I just have a hamburger on the plate. But believe me, Joe, you get used to it. It's hot. And I mean, I do have my, like I said, my birthday's coming up, so I will have my pizza on my birthday. But all I can say is you get used to it. Well, yeah, but the carbs thing, when I lost a bunch of weight, cutting out those carbs, man, I saw my weight start dropping immediately. Yeah, I was very fortunate. My two biggest vices were bread and sugary drinks. Once I cut them out, I didn't change my diet really per se. I was still, I'm probably still consuming, you know, 2,500 calories a day. My weight dropped from 215, 220 to 180. That happened about three years ago and it stayed off. I'm not dieting. I'm not counting calories or anything like that. It's just avoiding those two things. Isn't that funny? And it's funny, people listening, by the way, I know- We've got people driving down the road right now listening to us going, come on, where's the financial talk? If you don't think this is financial, this is huge financial talk. This is actually uh, something that's been overdue on our show for a long time because controlling your health. I mean, you make, I've found that controlling my health, paying attention, a little bit of attention, like you said, to what I eat and then my weight kind of pays attention to itself. I get so much more done I don't know. I have more energy. I make better decisions. 
Like, and mm-hmm. not just decisions about food, but like decisions about career, about my life, about what I want to do tomorrow, about the show. Like it all wraps together in, into this big bundle that uh, finance helps drive. So next you had on here though, no sugary treats except Saturday. I do want to talk about your cheat day <laughs> because I did a cheat day when I was really militant about it. And what was funny was at first I like totally look forward to the cheat day. I'd say within about four or five months, the cheat day became horrible because my body wanted to push all that stuff out. Like I was all about the donut, the pizza, you know, hamburgers. I was stuffing myself full of everything that I couldn't have the other six days. Joe, was it the whole day, the cheat day? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And it, Maybe was, I should- it was horrible. <laughs> Maybe I should have specified in that book. When I have my cheat day, it's usually, you know, one thing. I may oh. have a donut. Or oh. I may have ice cream that night. I don't. I don't go with sugar nut for the whole day. You tell me now. <laughs> Where were you? Because <laughs> by the yeah, end got- of the by the end of the day, they're like that uh, Monty Python movie. One more thin mint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for people that don't go, don't know that reference, just go YouTube it. You'll find it. Well, Joe, writing's hard. There's a lot of things you got to uh, account for. I didn't account for that. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, no condiments. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Mrs. Groovy pointed out to me. Uh, she goes, when I began the no sugar, or at least get rid of sugary drinks. Saturday is my cheat day, and she said, you know, ketchup has a lot of sugar in it. Barbecue sauce has a lot of sugar in it. And I'm saying, no. What are you What are you talking about? And I look at the label, and I don't have one here right in front of me now, but yeah, sugar was right up there, and one of the leading, you know, ingredients. So it's it's not a minor part of these condiments. I said, all right, let me get rid of condiments and. Again, it's weird. Usually when I, every time I eat something, I got to slather it with some gooey sugar. Yeah. Some sweet and, baby raised barbecue <laughs> sauce. Or, oh God. Yeah. Yes. I was, uh, I was addicted to baby rays, but again, same thing. Eventually your body adapts. Uh, you know, I, there's a whole science with the gut health, uh, what happens inside the microbes, you know, you, you stop feeding it sugar. Those guys die out and the good microbes take over and they're not telling your brain, I want sugar. I want sugar. That's so cool. You go into your workout plan. We're not going to have time to go through this a lot, but I love your tips here to start small, focus on sustainability. I like that. It's not about doing everything right now, Mr. Groovy. It's about making sure you continually exercise. Yeah. Every day we walk three miles. I'll be able to do that into my 70s. Subduing your appetite. We get there. Workout. By the way, you have a great line that I absolutely love, which is when you go into exercise, you say, you can't out-exercise an undisciplined mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up, I mean, we thought exercise was the key to weight control. It's just amazing you know, how few calories you do burn when you do exercise. You may do some, you know, 45 minutes on a bike, you know, sweating your new you-know-what off, and you may lose 200 calories. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, that, that's, that's half a Snickers bar. You even say something about, I don't remember the exact term, but it's something like a three-mile walk is two pieces of yeah. pizza. Like it's a long, long walk <laughs> to get rid of two pieces of pizza. That's forever. But then you go from appetite and workout to controlling your appetite for stuff. So I like how you meld this then into money. I want you to tell one story here, if you don't mind. You had an obsession with your kitchen faucet. Yeah. It's amazing what television can do to you. I was addicted to HGTV, so... I don't know what faucet company advertised. Maybe it was Moen. I don't remember. But they had the faucet. They had the girl. She was out there. The faucet could turn on and off depending on her hand moving. She's dancing in front of this 
faucet. I'm going, look at that frigging faucet. Now that's a faucet. My faucet sucks. Did you buy one? No. <laughs> you know, I mean, thankfully I had Mrs. Groovy to uh, check my, uh, I don't know, my weird tendencies. But that, that's just an example I was, I was trying to, you know, I try to explain in the book. I mean, television puts ideas in your head. You see things that, you know, prior to that, I didn't care about my faucet. It turned on water. It delivered the water in the amount I wanted and in the temperature I wanted. I was very happy with my faucet. Next thing I see, a newfangled faucet where, like I said, you don't have to touch it. You had to get rid of, you had to get rid of the faucet pornography. That's what you had to do. Yeah. Turn yeah. it off. <laughs> but seriously though, cutting the cord, you cut the cord. How long ago? Four years now. And does that mean no TV at all? Like do you have Netflix or, or Hulu or any of that stuff? We have Netflix and we do a lot of YouTube. YouTube is its own thing now. It's amazing when the content on there. But Joe, here's a story for you. Last week, I was in Notre Dame. I went to a Notre Dame football game. And this shows you how much I'm out of the loop. And I'm out of the loop because I don't watch TV. I'm at Notre Dame Stadium. It's hot that day. It's about 80, 85 degrees, sunny out. I'm looking at people's feet. Nobody friggin' has socks on. They have like these, um, they come up to your ankle. They're not like real socks, tube socks. I'm the only one friggin' sitting around with tube socks because I don't know what's going on. I don't know the trends. And that's a perfect example why you should not watch TV. And it's why if you go out with Mr. Groovy, the members only jacket is fine. <laughs> and hey, those Jordache jeans. Yeah. Wear them, man. They'll come back. Just feel free. Someday they'll come back. So, I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? You familiar with the sock trend? Uh, I, I was d- totally oblivious to it. I didn't know it was a trend, but I'm a runner. So I was wearing those little okay. running socks. So I don't know. All right. I just, you know, I always accidentally look really cool. I, just, I fall into trend, you know, the, the, uh, you've got tips, tips to, to forge a frugal mindset. And by the way, guys, I'm skipping around and we're barely touching on all the stuff that you write about. We'll get to that here in a second, but, but you have some key things about frugal besides cutting the cord. Number one, frugal doesn't mean doing without it. It seems to me reading and knowing you and watching, watching your trashy videos, Stuff like that. And by the way, guys, I, that's what he calls the videos, not me. I'm not ripping Mr. Groovy. We uh, uh, Watching your videos, it doesn't seem like you're doing without. Oh, not at all. Not at all. That's one of the nicest things I found with this journey. I mean, if you think about it, I can go to work in a Lexus or I can go on my 2004 Camry. What difference does it make? I mean, is life materially worse off if you have a Camry as opposed to a Lexus or a Mercedes. And, you know, that's what we just found over the years. Simple, like Mrs. Groovy and I, we don't go to a fancy restaurant for Valentine Day. We go to White Castle. I don't know if you're familiar with White Castle in, oh, yeah. uh, in your area. Yes. We have a great time. And our friends look at us like we're friggin' nuts, but we're enjoying life. And it's, it's pennies on the dollars compared to what most people spend for most things. I'd rather have a great discussion at a hole in the wall restaurant than a meal where I feel uncomfortable and I'm spending hundreds of dollars on Thank that meal. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> any a, any day of of the week. But White Castle's a little <laughs> I remember what this is a bad story. We don't have time for it, but I had a boss once that we were on our way someplace and he thought he was being magnanimous. We walked into a White Castle and he said, "I'm buying sliders for everybody." I think, Mr. Groovy, it cost him like $4.50 to buy for, <laughs> what, for the 
<laughs> buy a hundred sliders. Right. To buy them for the whole place. Like he's big spender buying a slider for everybody. So frugal doesn't mean being without is a big takeaway. Second is only compete against yourself. Yeah. For the first 40 years of my life, when I compared myself, I compared myself to people who were better than I was. Friends who made twice as much as I made. The people on television. Finally, I woke up. I said, wait a second. I just have to be a better me. You know, if I'm making more than I made last year, it's a win. If I'm saving more, it's a win. And the older I get, the more, um, I don't know, humble I get. We got it made here in the United States. You look at you look at the world. You look at what people live in. You know, 600 million people don't have a toilet in India. I, you know, I don't want to get depressing, but we have it pretty damn good here. So just be a better you. Don't worry about the evil 1%. Just if you improve yourself, that's a win. You and I, the hard part about what we do in particular, you in blogging, me in podcasting, is we have to be on social media. It's just the way you find your audience and intersect with them. But mm-hmm. you, you spend a lot of time talking about how Facebook paints a, a horrible narrative about, and really can be depressing because it makes you feel like everybody else is doing all this <laughs> crap you're not doing, which, which by the way, studies have shown, as you know, isn't true. Right. I described it as a crowdsourced highlight reel. For the brief time I was on Facebook, every time I went on it, you know, somebody was doing something wonderful, something fantastic. That made my life look pretty drab and pretty shallow and pretty pathetic. But again, you're dealing with you know, your life and you're looking into the window of hundreds of lives or thousands of lives, depending on how many people you follow on Facebook. And sure, the crowdsource highlight reel is going to be much better than your life. The book is called The Groovy Guide to Financial Independence, How to Escape the Tyranny of Mandatory Toil for 14 Years or Less. The amazing Fritz Gilbert from the Retirement Manifesto, writes the foreword. How fun was that? I can't believe he said yes. Oh, he's great, Fritz. <laughs> uh, like um, he is the, uh, how do I describe him? He is the, uh, he's the ambassador of the FI community. He's he just totally a great guy. is. Oh my goodness. Fritz, I swear, I'm sure Fritz waves like the queen, you know? <laughs> I, and I mean that little back and forth wave to all of his fans. Oh God. He's, a, his, he's, he's a special dude. And uh, I was very happy he uh, he agreed to do the forward to the book. He's he's, he's a good man. Because he well, and and frankly, he is a little bit similar story. Retired early, reach for early financial independence, and it's all about what you do and being healthy. And you know, he's out riding his mountain bike and good stuff there. But I want to talk about one thing. A lot of people have side hustles to make more money. They score big races to make more money. You tell this story about uh, doubling your income, man, without taking on a side hustle or without, <laughs> without, without getting a raise at work or a promotion. What happened there? Yeah. I don't know how the, uh, the audience is going to accept this, but, uh, it's a shocking, well, it's one of the, um, this is a how, hack. We call it yeah, a one hack. of the, one of the tremendous hacks. <laughs> yeah. I got friggin' married. <laughs> when you it's present- amazing. <laughs> When you present that as a hack, and by the way, spoiler alert, <laughs> sorry, people, I, I stole that one. Like, uh, like, oh, you doubled your income? That's fantastic. What did you do? Oh, you got married. And then I was expecting the whole Russian bride thing and about how you had to have a down payment, and there was none of that involved. <laughs> no, no, the fabulous Mrs. Groovy. Yeah, she. Uh, I stumbled upon her in graduate school. This is the second time I've said this. I won the lottery twice. I was born in America, and I found Mrs. Groovy. She is clearly your better half. I have no idea what well, she's doing with you, but good, it, good for you, doubt. man. Yes. Uh, where's the book available? Uh, Amazon. 
right now it's only available in the uh, ebook version. In the next month or so, we'll get it out in paperback. But go to Amazon, and uh, you'll have no problems. Well, congratulations on a job well done, sir. Once again, the name of the book is The Groovy Guide to Financial Independence. If you're either on your way to work or walking the dog or whatever it might be, we'll have a link to it in the show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Mr. Groovy, great to talk to you again, man. Congratulations on uh, a job thanks, well Joe. done. It's, it's always a pleasure. And like I said, I'm living the dream. I'm down in the basement. Pinch yourself, man. <laughs> right. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And can you believe it's been over 10 years since the market collapsed? You might remember that one of the first companies on Wall Street to struggle was Bear Stearns, which brings up today's trivia question. According to the former CEO of Bear Stearns in a recent interview, how much money did the government dictate, according to him, that J.P. Morgan would pay to acquire the struggling company? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. As I record this, I'm getting ready to head out to FinCon and, of course, in my pack, there's going to be a couple RX bars. Thanks to RX bar for supporting Stacking Benjamins. If you're not familiar with the RX bar, it's a protein bar made with 100% whole ingredients and no BS. That's short for bad stuff like added sugar, artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. Nope, they're made with 100% whole ingredients, a few simple clean things where every ingredient serves a purpose, like the egg whites that give you protein, dates bind it together, nuts give it texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. No added sugars, colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. Just great tasting bars in a variety of flavors. In fact, they come in 14 different flavors, and they have seasonal ones as well. And whether you like sweet and savory, chocolate, or fruit, there's an RX bar for you. OG and I, of course, talked about our favorites. Mine is the blueberry bar. Real fruit ingredients actually taste really good, and you can taste the cocoa, the real fruit, the spices like sea salt. So... It's ideal for a breakfast on the go, snack at the office to push you through that 3 p.m. slump, throwing it in your bag for a plane ride to Orlando like I did or wherever for you, toss it in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike, pre- or post-workout snack. Something new from RX Bar, they now have the RX Nut Butter, which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites, fruits, and nuts. And every single serve packet, squeezable and spreadable, and contains delicious creamy nut butter with nine grams of high quality protein pairs great with fruit rice cakes pretzels or straight out of the pouch get your first order from rx bar how about 25 percent off that first order here's how you do it rxbar.com forward slash sb and use promo code sb at checkout that's rxbar.com forward slash sb promo code sb it's always fun seeing people in our basement talk about their rx bar experience or pictures of people out on the trail with their rx bars it's funny you think that uh talking about health foods and money don't go together if you can spend your money on anything spend it on the right nourishment just like mr groovy just said just a few minutes ago also we're so happy that slack supports stacking benjamins if you don't know what slack is well it's a collaboration hub for work we use it here at stacking benjamins Whatever work you do, whether it's podcasting, working in an office with a bunch of people or remotely with Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop and the information that they need is always right at their fingertips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels 
letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams. And because everything you need to work is in one place, it's faster and easier to get things done. With Slack, your team's better connected. Find out more at slack.com. Slack connects all the tools and services you need in one place. So I'll give you an example. As we were getting ready for our last tour date, we needed to have a quick on-the-fly meeting to talk about some of the graphics that we're using for the tour. So Richie and I jumped on in a peer-in call. Now, a peer-in is a whole separate thing, but it connects directly through Slack. Also, for our Money in the Morning podcast, our sponsor over there gave us some new language, and they connected through Google Drive, which is also connected to Slack. And then... Gertrude, who does our social media for us, had a couple things that happened on Twitter that she needed me to look at. You know where she pinged me? On Slack. Three totally different things. Two of those using plugins from other outside apps all happened in one place. I totally didn't get Slack until we started using it. But Slack tailors with a thousand other apps. I don't have to have a bunch of different tabs open. I don't have to worry about multiple platforms or searching through old emails for that follow-up. It's all right in one place. And because there's a mobile app, even though I've been gone this entire last week to Orlando, I can easily check Slack between meetings to make sure that I'm catching everything. Slack, where work happens, learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. Trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, showing again my ability to remain hip with current events with today's 10 years since the market crashed trivia question. Here it was. According to the former CEO of Bear Stearns in a recent interview, how much money did the government dictate, according to him, that J.P. Morgan would pay to acquire the struggling company? Former CEO Alan Schwartz, in an interview for the Yahoo Finance All Markets Summit, said that it was the government who dictated the terms of Bear Stearns' sale to J.P. Morgan for $2 per share, a number that later memorialized in a popular photo showing the Bear Stearns logo in a window with a $2 bill above it. (laughs) Here's how bad Bear Stearns' collapse was. Earlier, the stock had traded at a high of over $172 a share. Investors lined up lawsuits, and in the following days, the price was changed to $10 a share as a result. Even at that price, shareholders saw huge losses and would see lots more in the coming months from other companies. Luckily, all my money was in Beanie Babies, which I still know are poised for a huge comeback. Any day now. Any day now. See ya! Thanks again to Mr. Groovy for coming down to the basement. I love hearing financial success stories, and I love thinking about all the exciting ways that people can make financial independence happen for them. It's a thousand ways to get it done. You got to do what's right for you. Amen, brother. Hey, speaking of get done, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they are putting what you value first uh, being somewhere between number two and number seven on the death chart for uh, stacking Benjamins and all the responsibility <laughs> that comes with it. Or your family and your time. Either one. 
This is my family, Joe. This is. You are my family. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. No waiting several weeks for a decision. Their prices are affordable. Policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, who's been in business for over 160 years. Lovely customer support. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our new friend, Shane. Say hello, Shane. Hi, guys. I have a question about retirement accounts for doctors. It's a career that involves the threat of litigation, obviously, but since a large number work for universities, they get 403Bs without a risk of protection. Are there strategies for doctors or people in other fields where litigation is a big threat to minimize what is at risk? Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for the question, Shane. Great question. If somebody works in a field where there's the threat of, you know, always a threat of a lawsuit, are there different protections they should use? This is a great example, I think, for the purpose for errors in emissions insurance or if you're a physician, malpractice insurance. If you're a regular old schmo who doesn't like to shovel his sidewalks, maybe you need to have umbrella insurance. This is generally a very inexpensive way to shield your assets. And of course, it depends on what kind of field you're in. I do know different specialties in the medical field are going to have some pretty high malpractice policies, but but that's what it's there for. You know, at the end of the day, financial planners have errors and emissions insurance. Physicians and folks in the medical field should have malpractice coverage. And probably most of Americans should have umbrella coverage as well, because you don't want to expose all of your other assets to a uh, lawsuit if something were to go wrong, even if it's not your fault, but maybe it's your responsibility. You know, there's some other things that I like. I love um, not putting MD or Dr. So-and-so on your checks, on your personal correspondence. Yeah. You know, and, and I understand you're proud of what you do, but the grocery store clerk does not need to know that you might be the potential winning number in their financial lottery. Yeah. You know what? You told me this a long time ago, Joe, you work from home and I come over and we go over to mom's house in the basement. And so we're at our houses all the time. And one of the things you, you said kind of offhand to me once was whenever someone comes over to your home, you know, a contractor or whatever, one of the things you just always kind of insert into the conversation is, yeah, I work from home. I'm always home. I never go anywhere. There are people in this world who come door to door just to see who's home and who go, oh, nobody's at that house. I'm going to go kick in the back door. Sometimes those people know other people who know other people. Yeah. And you can just kind of eliminate that by just making just an offhanded comment of like, like you said, there you go. How's that one, John? We got around it. Yeah. You don't need to make yourself a target unnecessarily. And maybe target's a strong word, but I like what you said about not, you know, don't, you don't need to wear your stethoscope to the grocery store. We get it. You're a doctor. You're super smart and super rich. We're cool with that. But you don't need to tell the grocery clerk. Just like when somebody comes over to my house, I make sure because of you, I make sure I just say, oh yeah, no, I work from home here all day. Everybody's here all day. Yeah. If anybody in their circle ever had ill intent, you know, they might go, well, don't pick that one. That guy's home all the time. You just use some, I don't know, I think of them as common sense safeguards. And you already mentioned the liability coverage, errors and omissions, depending on what career you have. 
those coverages get super expensive. And if you want an extra line of defense, I would say also to look at your umbrella liability policy on your house. And the problem is, is that a lot of times when people get umbrella liability, the blanket statement I've heard people say is, oh, get a million dollars. I can't think of any of those lawsuits that are just a million dollars. And the, the price difference, there's a policy cost for umbrella liability, but then beyond the policy cost, going up from $1 million to $2 million ain't much. So in other words, yeah. just tacking on more thousands to the coverage, not that big a deal. So I'm, I'm a big fan of umbrella liability in much more than a million, two to three, depending on what you do. And dovetail on that a little bit. It's also important when new things change in your life to ask other people around you whether or not that affects what you're doing. We were lucky enough to be able to save a whole bunch of money and put a pool in our backyard a little over a year ago. The first thing I did was call the attorney and say, hey, the pool's done. What do I got to do from a liability standpoint? Kids, and he come, says, kids coming over. Yeah. He said, well, you got a fence around the pool. I said, yep. He says, okay, why don't you get a couple of those Nest outdoor cameras and install those? I said, okay, that was my plan anyway. And he says, what do you have for the umbrella coverage? I said, a million. He said, "Nah, you probably want to double or triple that. And just by having, again, just some safeguards and having somebody else who's experienced the other side of that uh, will likely pass along some knowledge as well. So some things you can't get around, you know, 403Bs or 457s, not necessarily covered by ERISA, and every plan is going to be a little different. also makes a strong case for when you leave a job, it may make sense to make the, put that in an IRA or into your new company 401k. So there's other layers to that as well. But, uh, you know, if you don't screw up, then you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. <laughs> there, there it is. Sound, sound advice. <laughs> <laughs> don't muck it up and you don't have to worry about people suing you. Take your career seriously, Shane. Really. I mean, mom says that. Yeah. We come on in my performance review this year. I can't wait when my boss gets to sit down with me and talk to me about whether or not I take this seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks for the question, Shane. We also get letters down here in the basement and today's letter comes to us from Jay. Jay says, hi, I no longer work for Walmart, but I bought the company stock. What are some recommendations for me? Well, that's pretty broad there, Jay. So uh, while while working at Walmart, bought a few shares of Walmart stock. Okay, good story. Email us the rest of it. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> so the first thing is is that you either hold on to it or you sell it. Yep. Um, if you two options. If you sell those shares, it depends on how you own it. If you own it through what's called a drip program, a dividend reinvestment program, maybe directly through Walmart or or companies working on behalf of Walmart you may be able to sell those for a very low fee. You can do that. If you're going to hold it for a long time, you can move it to another brokerage account that goes along with your other shares. So you've got things in the same place. By the way, if you do move that, you're reinvesting the dividend, make sure that you also keep that dividend reimbursement hooked up because a lot of times you have to request that, that the dividend gets reinvested. If you're going to sell it, it's for one of two reasons. Number one is you have data not just a gut feeling, but you have data that says that you don't think that Walmart's going to perform well uh, over the short or long term, one or the other. We're guessing on stock performance. I like it. Yep. Well, that's what I said. You should have data. Uh, What does data have to do with anything? What, data that the stock's going to go up or down? 
Absolutely. There's two types of analysis. There's fundamental analysis and technical analysis. So I would know on a fundamental standpoint, I would want to know what the projections are for Walmart. I would also want to know about the business that Walmart's in and how analysts expect them to fare versus their competition. The more I know about that, then the more I can also dig into when it comes to fundamental analysis, looking at uh, revenue growth and looking at free cash flow looking at the P ratio of the stock, there's a lot to get into. Technical analysis is voodoo. And by voodoo, I mean it's a bunch of charts and graphs that traders use to decide when it's a good time and when it's not a good time to buy or sell a stock. Technical analysis works when there's not a lot of news around the stock. But the reason it works is because there's so many people that believe it works. So it's like this. Mm. Technical analysis is like this self-fulfilling prophecy that, okay, if we've got the MACD in a certain position or the stochastic in a certain spot, then this signals something to people. You hear about stocks that are breaking out of a formation. That's technical analysis that they're practicing. Completely voodoo, but voodoo because there's enough traders out there that use it that it ends up, it ends up working just because of the sheer number of people doing that. So, you know, the third thing to do, Hold on to it because you work there, you like the company. That can go one of two ways. You know, 15 years from now, you go, man, I should have sold that a long time ago. Or you just sell it today. In most cases, OG, for most people, if it's the only stock that you own, I would say sell it, diversify it, put it in a in a position that you don't have to even pay attention to any of those big words I used for the past four minutes. That was the smartest thing you've said all day, Joe. All that brilliance I just said about how to evaluate individual stocks? Yeah, not that part. The part about uh, you should probably just sell it and diversify it and then never pay attention to it again. <laughs> or if it's a really small amount, like you have two shares, you should sell it and go and spend it on steak and lobster. There you go. Live in the moment. Totally. YOLO, Jay. <laughs> how did you know what my new tattoo said? YOLO. <laughs> you mean your tramp stamp tattoo? Well, it's lower than where the tramp stamp usually goes. <laughs> Whoa. And on that note, fantastic. Thanks for the... Can we say tramp stamp? Uh, we just did. So oh. there it is. Thanks for the thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the show, head to uh, stackybenjamins.com and you'll see at the top of the page, you will see all the ways that you can interface with us if you just click the questions for the show link. A couple quick announcements before we say goodbye to this particular episode of the show. Number one is... Hey, Kansas City, we're coming to see you next week. Tickets still on sale. We'll be at the Orlando Improv on Tuesday night. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour, and uh, you can get tickets there. And I'm liking the way that they're selling. Looking like we're going to have a lot of fun with Joe Goldberg with MBKC Bank. Uh, of course, Chris Costello with us, our friends from TIAA and their Difference Maker segment with us. Tracy Phobes is going to be there. Kerry Olson's going to be there. We've got a phenomenal guitar phenom who's going to be with us as our Stacky Benjamins band. This is going to be a lot of fun. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash tour. Second is thanks to everybody who's left reviews of this show. Uh, this one's going on the refrigerator. This is from Twist and Melon, five stars, personal finance infotainment. Stacky Benjamins is a fun show that just happens to be focused on personal finance in much the same way that Car Talk was a fun show that just happened to be about automotive issues. 
If you're looking for a podcast that's super serious, nuts and bolts, and gets right to the point because time is money and you have to be at the gym in 26 minutes, this might not be the show for you. The cover art featuring a guy with a paper bag over his head should have been your first clue. So lighten up. Come on down to the basement and have a listen to some soon-to-become-friends-of-yours have conversations about money, earning, saving, investing, spending, and giving money, and all the ways life happens along the way to doing so. Be forewarned, neighbor Doug might drop by while you're there. Do not engage. Just smile and nod politely. He'll be gone soon enough, just in time for dessert. Mm, I love dessert. Speaking of dessert, mom, ice cream, dessert. Let's go. Yes. Last if you're somebody looking for good financial help in your corner, OG's taking clients, but you got to get in before October 31st to get in for this year. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G to look at his firm's schedule and uh, take it from there. All right. Speaking of take it from there, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from today's guest, Mr. Groovy, and work on your physical health. What good is financial independence if you can't enjoy it? Second, is someone telling you high returns and safe in the same sentence? That might be a first warning bell that things aren't on the up and up. But the big lesson? Don't give away your Beanie Baby buy and hold scheme on a popular money-oriented podcast. That could ruin, and I mean ruin, everything. Hey, 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 who wrote this script giving out my strategy? Not funny, OG. Special thanks to Mr. Groovy for stopping by. You can buy his book, The Groovy Guide to Financial Independence at Amazon.com. And you'll find Mr. Groovy's blog at freedomisgroovy.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Hey, how come I always have to say the amazing Steve Stewart? That Richie kid's pretty cool, and we don't add any adjectives before his name. What about me? How come I'm never the incomparable neighbor Doug or the unimaginably cool neighbor Doug or even the unfathomably intelligent neighbor Doug? So I'm in college 
we were talking about 70s uh, stuff earlier, and I'm in college, and I'm working as a DJ to pay the bills, and I'm doing fraternity parties at Michigan State, and weddings on the weekend, and reunions, and all kinds of stuff, but a sorority hires me to do a disco party. Bring a mirror ball, dress like your 70s. Everybody's dressing that way. You're the DJ, so you need to dress that way. So I went... I went. In, I know how this story starts out. I never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> right. I went into my closet and I dug out some Jordache jeans. And I actually had this really, this pair of Jordache jeans that I'd maybe worn once way, way back. But for people that are too young for this, Jordache was like the big jeans to wear during disco times and a little bit after. And so I, uh, I go to put these jeans on and like everybody in college, after you quit being a competitive athlete, I gained a few pounds. When were you, when were you a competitive athlete? I ran track in college. I know. Oh, you want to know where? I know. You want to know what school I went to? Please. Do you know what school I went to? No, I, no one does. So we, so I can barely breathe in these damn jeans, right? But I finally, you know, I finally get that under control, got this kind of cool looking outfit and, and I'm, I'm playing records and I'm mixing records. Well, as I go from one record to another, the dance starts off awesome. We're in a bowling alley bar, by the way, it's just the perfect place for a disco party. Things are going great until I dropped a record on the floor. I couldn't bend over to pick that thing up. Like I'm in this little DJ booth, like above the dance floor. And I've got maybe three feet either way. Like I couldn't bend my knees in these pants. And I tried unzipping my pants so that I could, so that I could. So So you're unzipping your pants at the sorority party. Got it. (laughs) No, no. And I'm trying to bend, but my pants are so damn tight. I can't bend that, that record stayed on the floor until the end of the night when somebody came up and was talking to me. I'm like, Hey, can you get that for me? <laughs> it's so bad. That's what you get for wearing Jordache jeans ever. As a matter of fact, that's what I get. I had the big comb in my back pocket. Remember those? No, dude, I do not remember any of that stuff because I was barely alive in the seventies. I mean, I was comb. alive well, for this was a big, number of years, but I was an I infant. Big comb and Jordache might've been more early eighties, but uh, yeah. also, don't have a lot of memories from that part of my life either. Probably not happening there either. No. Yeah. Anyway, you went to some disco. Unlike you. you said, did you have a disco party too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I acquired pants that fit and a shirt that fit. So there's really <laughs> no story there. It was there's, moving on. It was uncomfortable because the shirt was polyester. And, you know, the only thing that touches these silky skin is. Oh, God. Silk and linen. Nice seeing you. Nice seeing you. <laughs> what are we what are we still doing here? Everyone wonders that every other day, all year long. I think it's time for some food. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother in law, Eric who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be 
a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.